Hello everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. I am your host, your guide, which makes good sense because this is called the Chase Jarvis Live Show, so if it was somebody else hosting it, that would be weird. But I would like to welcome you to another episode. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and unpack actionable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest today is Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is the author of several New York Times bestselling books, a couple of titles that you will remember better than before, The Happiness Project and more recently, Happier at Home. So obviously she's a happiness expert. She's sold millions of these copies of the book worldwide and someone being a happiness expert, I'm sure that's a little bit strange, but she is like, she's like three part scientist, one part artist, one part alchemist. And she blends these things together to provide really insightful, like these are like darts, like, like just things stick right on the nerve. Um, we had a great conversation before the podcast started where, I mean, it was just like knowledge bomb, knowledge bomb, knowledge bomb. And I then, you know, did my best to make sure that all those knowledge bombs made it into this conversation, which I'll oh, happy to pat myself on the back. Nailed it. I love the idea of a happiness expert because it says something to me that's really important, but very rarely said, which is that happiness is largely a choice. So sure, I mean, we all have off days, all that kind of stuff, but there's a general disposition that I have learned across all of the people, the hundreds that I've interviewed for this show, the millions and millions of downloads, 10 million or more, and that is happiness and positivity is like a core tenet of these people. What Gretchen does in this episode is show us how it's not at all random, but it's really the product of a series of deliberate decisions. Happiness, happiness with a proven framework. So if you're interested in that, you are going to love this episode. And because we're all different with different needs, different wants, the way this particular framework works is obviously going to be different for each of us. She talks about, for example, in the context of work, how some of us are either sprinters or others of us are marathoners. I know I tend to be a sprinter, but I work sometimes with marathoners. Just a great, great way of for you to understand what your buttons are, how they get pushed, and how you might be more successful in work, at home, in your sort of personal aspirations. Very powerful. I just it was, again, it was like something clicked for me in this particular episode. Also in this episode, she talks about her concept of a thing called drift, which is a powerful concept when it's what happens when we take the path of least resistance. I was just talking to my homie Tim Ferriss the other day, and he was talking about this, his, his recent book was the product of what would this be like if it was easy? Gretchen does a great job of putting us on that path. She also gets into a handful of her personality frameworks, like what kind of a personality are we, which our primary personality driver. Are you an obliger? Are you an upholder, a rebel, a questioner? <laughs> I think you're going to recognize yourself. This is eye-opener for me. And if you've ever done those, any of those personality characteristic tests, whatever, you'll enjoy this. And we also talk a lot about accountability, which is a powerful tool. Another thing that I see across all of the guests, the people who are high achievers, they have some really strong framework for accountability. And Gretchen says something in super insightful on this, which is, quote, a lot of people who are frustrated with themselves, they literally just need accountability. So if you've got a little bone to pick with yourself on why am I not doing X or Y, she, in this episode, gives you a framework for keeping yourself on task, which is, um, I, you're going to love it. Boom. That's it. With this episode, you can thank me later on the internet. Please do give a shout out to me. Give a shout out to Gretchen. Actually, let's, let me sw sw flip that order. Why don't you give a shout out to Gretchen? Say, Gretchen, I really love this episode. She's at Gretchen Rubin on all of the stuff. Without, let's get into the show. Oh, but before we do, I almost forgot a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. 
Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know, might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, now let's get into the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you again. We'll oh, do one more handshake, yes. but super, super glad you're here. And yeah. uh, I've been a fan a long time. Devoured the Happiness Project when it first came out, uh, and I know we have a lot of the same friends. So yeah. grateful to get to sit down with you. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to be talking to you. One of my favorite subjects: creativity. How to get there. How to do it. How to well, build we'll, it. Yeah, how to build it. And one of the things we're uh, I'm just going to go right to this thing because we were talking about this before we started rolling. Is you used to be a lawyer, and yes. you were. Clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court? Yes, <laughs> when I realized I wanted to be a writer. What, yeah. Was it something about, what, was it, were you running from something or yeah. to something? You know, that's a really good question because I was having a great experience as a lawyer. Um, you know, clerking for Justice O'Connor was amazing. I'd had a lot of great experiences. Um, but, you know, some people really feel a calling. Um, where they feel like almost a compulsion to do something. And yeah. sometimes it's to be a doctor, sometimes, like, funnily enough, like to be a circus performer. If you look, like, circus performers often have, like, this overwhelming desire to, like, perform in the circus. <laughs> yeah, um, and mine, awesome. I felt a kind of a compulsion to write. And I, I always had this sense that I was sort of digressing. Like, everything that I was doing was great, but it was sort of, like, not exactly where I was supposed to be. Um, and, uh, and finally, I think when I was clerking, I got to the point where it, it, I just felt the call so strongly to become a writer. It was more about going somewhere than leaving someplace. I love that. And, and I'm, I'm on record saying, if you don't write your own script, someone else will write it for you. Mm -hmm. And I was nearly a victim. I was literally thinking about this this morning when I was lying in bed. I have a little gratitude practice. And I'm like, I, I'm so glad that I followed my gut, my mm -hmm. intuition. I you know, bailed on a bunch of previous careers, we talked about that, and I ran to becoming a photographer, which was some, or something in me told me that that's what I needed to do. How common is that story? Because if, if I was told to go I'll do these other things, I was gonna be a doctor and a professional athlete, and you, a lawyer, do we have a cultural, is there a systemic problem that's telling us to be things we don't want to be? Or how, does, how should we think about that? You know, I, I think of it as drift. And drift is, uh, and that's what happened to me. It wasn't that people were telling me what to do. It was just that I, I wasn't spending the time really searching within myself and asking hard questions like, what did I really want to do? And I think drift is what happens when you take the path of the least resistance. So, 
You don't want to ask yourself hard questions. You don't want to risk conflict with somebody who's important to you. Um, you know, your mom's a doctor, your dad's a doctor, and so and everybody's like, why don't you go to, you're great in math and science, why don't you become a doctor? And you're like, okay, I'll go to medical school, and you do fine. And, and you sort of never stop and say, like, Ooh, do I want to be a doctor? And then at some point often, now sometimes that works out. Yeah, sometimes. And that's what's tricky about drift, because sometimes it works out. Um, but you always run the risk when you're not making a conscious choice that you kind of end up someplace. A lot of time after spending a lot of time and energy doing something that then you leave behind. Um, and so I think whenever you're, whenever you feel like you're being carried forward by events or when, you know, you're doing what everybody else is doing. I'm getting married because all my friends are getting married, so right. I should be getting married, you know. Alarm bell. Alarm bell, <laughs> alarm bell. Or if you have feelings like this can't go on but it does go on. Or like if you have a fantasy of like, well maybe, maybe I'll break my leg and then I won't be able to do it. You know, kind of fantasies of sort of emergency release. These are the kind of things that point you towards drift. So was there drift in your case? It you was a enormous like, drift. Just going to Look, like, oh I'm, my gosh, I got this opportunity no, 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 standard no, no, out. No, I mean, and that's exactly what happened. So like my father's a lawyer, he's a really, really happy lawyer, so I had that in my life. And I'm good at research and writing and that's good for law school. And then people say things about law school like, it's great preparation. It's a great education. You'll keep your options open. You can change your mind later. You know, and so I, it was a choice. It was a non-choice choice. choice. Mm. And I'm really good at taking tests. And so it was like, well, I'll take the LSAT and see how I did. And I did really well in the LSAT. I'll apply to law school, see where I get in. Oh, I got to DL law school. Can't say no to law school. And I was like, oh, you just got a Supreme Court clerkship. I'm like, yes. You know what I mean? Like I, I was carried along. And all these were wonderful experiences, yeah, so I don't regret them. But I was doing it kind of for all the wrong. And, and you know, people say, well, why is it that lawyers are so unhappy? And I'm like, people who want to be lawyers love being lawyers. Yeah. I, have, I have so many friends who love being lawyers. But if you go to law school because you can't think of anything better to do with yourself, and then you don't like it, it's kind of like you might as well have gone to like engineering school. And it's like, maybe it'll work out for you, maybe it won't. So I think it's all about this idea of really knowing what you want and making a decision that's right for you, not what your fantasy self is, not what other people expect of you, not what's the easiest thing. But to really say, well, what do what do I want? You know, and, and that's, that's very uh, uncomfortable. Very it's uncomfortable like worse than buying a bikini, <laughs> looking in the mirror the and last facing it. I bought. Was, yeah, that's right. Was rough. It was rough. <laughs> let me tell you. I'm going to put a pin in that idea for a second of knowing yourself. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that. But it's before like we go the there, everything. yeah, it is. It's very powerful. But before we do that, so the, I've talked uh, at length in you know on this show and others around. Um, going from zero to one, there's yeah. a huge po population of people who are paying attention to this right now and like, oh, I'm, I'm curious, I really, I don't natively identify as creative. And then there's a whole other section of people who are like, yeah, I've stepped into that world, I'm, I'm leaning into creativity, that's part of, I'm a designer, a photographer, um, an entrepreneur, I, I look at building businesses, something very creative. And what I love about you and your story is that you have, you, you made the zero to one jump and then when you were in the one category, you went from one to 10 and became a massively successful writer. So I'm, I'm looking into, I'm gonna harvest all of your information over the course of the next hour. Um, but how do you think, was there a, a shift in mindset from you when you were going from zero to one and then one to 10? I don't think so. I think for me, it was very much like, uh, once I was able to articulate for myself the desire that I wanted to become a writer, and I was really lucky because that took the point, I became obsessed with an idea which, became, which I started researching, which is something that I do often for fun. Like I'll often get really preoccupied with something and do a ton of research on it. Like I just went through this period of being obsessed with Thomas Merton, we, you know. Um, so this was something that was familiar to me, but I, this was a topic where I was just doing more and more and more research and I was spending more and more time. And it finally, you know, and uh, it finally started to occur to me, this is what somebody would do if they were gonna write a book. And some people write books as their job. They don't do it as in their free time, like after work. Um, and maybe I should do it. And so I was lucky because I wanted to become a writer, but I knew the book that I wanted to write. Because sometimes people are like, well, I want to be a writer, but I don't know what For is it sure. that I want to do. And so my book was called, I became, I, I had asked myself the question, what am I interested in that everybody in the world is interested in? And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex, and that became my first book. So I was doing this gigantic research project around <laughs> just those power, topics. money, fame, sex. Uh, it's called a user's guide. Um, and, and once I was like, this is a book I want to write and I want to try to become a writer, I was like, 
you know, at a certain point, I was like, I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So I need to make the jump. It was I was fortunate because my husband and I were both living in D.C. We moved from D.C. to New York, and he also loved law to be to go into finance. And so it was sort of like this very obvious kind of break in our lives. Like we have law jobs. Now we moved to New York, and now we don't have law jobs. And I remember the day when we got a letter from the New York Bar Association asking, you know, we had to pay our bar fees. And I said to my husband. Should we pay our bar fees? He's like, no, we're not. No, we're never going back. Um, now I know that you can like, if you just pay up your missing bar fees, you can go back onto the bar. So whatever. Um, but it felt very important at the time. Um, and so once I did that, once I made that mental shift, yeah. then I felt like it was just like it was constantly like, okay, well, what's the next thing I have to do? What? Okay, so I have to get an agent, right? Or I have to write. A, first, I had to write a proposal because I had to get an agent. So. I have to write a proposal. What does that look like? I went to the bookstore and got a book called like How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal. Okay. <laughs> so I did that, you know, and then I got an agent. And you know, and each of these things was it felt like a really big ordeal. Um, but it was just sort of like as I did one, then the next thing presented itself. I think and that's a, what I've done ever since. There's a huge lesson in there. It's like you don't actually have to do all of the steps. Yes. What you really have to do is do the next step. Yes. Or whatever's right yes. in front and of you. Yes. And you can get overwhelmed if you're thinking about, oh my gosh, like what would it take? But if you're just like, well, all I have to focus on now is what's the next step for me. Yeah. And people, I feel like they ask, like, well, when will I know if it's time? to fill Ooh, in the blank. Oh, that's so hard. Yes. So, so yeah, I think for us it was it was nice that there was kind of an artificial um, break where there was kind of a logical time to switch. That made it easier. Okay, so then you start writing. Yeah. Because you don't just go right out and write a book. You yeah. start writing, presumably, or did you yeah. just like, did you go chapter one, ding, and Well, I had been doing all this work on it like in my free time for fun. So I had this gigantic thing, and but I had to write a proposal. Um, which is like a whole other kind of writing, um, and uh, yeah, and write a sample chapter and a table of contents, and yeah, all that. And and my book was odd. It was sort of like um, it's kind of like the preppy handbook meets the pr Machiavelli's The Prince. <laughs> so there were a lot of like boxes, and like it was meant to be this sort of very funny, non-traditional book. Um, and so there was a lot, there were like kind of a lot to manage just in presentation of it. Got it. So when, let's go back to the thing I said I was going to put a pin in. Oh yeah. Which is knowing yourself because mm -hmm. presumably what you said something interesting a second ago, which was I had, I had been doing this thing in my spare time. Yes. So sort of that's step one that people yeah. I think a lot of times overlook. Like if you're a lawyer, what can I do to start writing? We'll start writing. Like yes. the, the, the verb is to write. Yes. Right? <laughs> Yes, like do what you do in your, like what do you do when you're just like left to your own devices? And here's a great example of that. Okay. Um, I have a, a videos on my site and the way that I found the person who makes the videos, my videographer, was this was a woman who, she had like left the workforce, Maria, Maria Giacchino, um, and then she did this, my, our children were in kindergarten together and she did this amazing video of the kindergarten year. And when I was like, oh my God, she's so amazing. And then we had a mutual friend who also had kids at the school, and as a, as a favor to her, Maria did this woman's book trailer. And I was like, that's an amazing book trailer. Will you make a book trailer for me? And she's like, sure. Okay, I'm like, I'll hire you. <laughs> then she did a great book trailer for me, and then I'm like, well, I need somebody to make videos for me every week. Will you do it? And she's like, okay. So, you know, she was just doing what she was doing for fun, which is like make a little kindergarten video. Mm -hmm. But that just, that was just doing what she did, and then, that was enough to put her in the game, kind of. And then other people were like, I'll hire you, and I've seen that you've done this great work. I, I think you probably know the uh, author or researcher, Brene Brown. Oh, sure, yes. Yeah, so she's like very much been on the show before, uh, two times actually. I'm, I'm talking about putting yourself out there, being yeah. in the arena. Yeah. And it's sort of yeah. the, the arena, the way she talks about it is like a lot of people can see you, and, yeah. and you know you might be subject to ridicule, but also it's like there's a lot of people in the arena, and you're connecting with other people, and yes. you say you're a, a yes. writer, yeah. other people in your life. There's, so there's something about yeah. declaring yes. your, your writerness yeah. or something like yeah. that. But see, this is why I think all this new technology is so great, because like you can have a blog, and you can be blogging regularly, and that can be part of your identity, and so you are writing. You're a lawyer, but you're also writing. You're, you're, you are part of the blogger identity. 
Um, you know, there's ways now that you can enter into the fray. It used to be you were either an unpublished writer or you were a published writer. But now it's like you could be self-published. You could be published online. Yeah. You could have an amazing Twitter feed that like a million people follow. Like, there's so many ways, I feel like, to get into the arena now in a way that you control yourself. There's no gatekeeper to keep you yes. out. And you can, you can start putting it out there and seeing what response you get. And then like, you know, I know people, I know literary agents who have seen people's stuff online and, 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 and said to them, like, do you want to write a book? Because your stuff is really good. Now that's rare. Rare, yeah. That doesn't don't, don't often build your happen. life around that. Yeah, don't build your life around it. But again, it's like sort of put, put yourself out there and kind of own whatever it is that you want to do in a kind of low stakes, low investment way, because it can really pay off then later when you're trying to make that transition. When you quit the bar and decide yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're going to do this full time, you've yeah. already had a whole sort of body of work yeah, behind you. Yeah. All right, so you said, you know, another key word in there, it's like yourself a couple times in that last phrase, or that last paragraph, and then I'm going to pin that back to the thing that we said we were going to get back to, which is knowing yourself. Yeah. So many people, uh, I end up being a little bit of a therapist <laughs> as yeah. a professional creative and someone who puts a lot of content out in the world, like, oh my gosh, how do you know if, how, like, I, I, I know I don't want to do this thing, but I don't know what I do yes, want to do. Or I, that's hard. I love taking pictures. I don't know what I take pictures of. How do I make a living? So how do we know ourselves? Or you talk a lot about knowing yourselves around habits. And so what's step one in, in because you, correct me if I'm wrong, you talk about needing to know yourself before you actually prescribe what you should do or something. There's something yeah, like, know, right, right. Yeah. so well, give me step one on Well, that. one of it is, yeah, I mean, specifically with habits is a lot of times people are sort of like, these are the seven habits of highly creative people. They do this, they get up early in the morning, they write 800 words a day, they, you know, and, it's, and you're like, ooh, that's what I need to do and then I'll be highly creative. No. <laughs> um, what I found, and I think it's just irrefutably true, is that there is no magic one size fits all solution when it comes to habits or happiness or anything. And then we always have to begin by saying like, what's true for us? So you might say, oh, you know, I get up at 5 a.m. and write, and my 5 to 7 a.m. is, you know, it's quiet, my mind is fresh, I've just done my meditation, it's like amazing. This is what everybody should do. But it's like, well, some people are night people, and they're not at their most creative until 4 p.m. So for them to get up early and yeah. try to write is like nonsensical. It, it does, it's just not right for them. It's not that you're wrong or they're wrong. It's just that people are different. And so when you're trying to have, create your habits, it's really important to start by saying, well, what kind of person am I? What's true about me? You know, and um, like another thing that comes up is simplicity lovers and abundance lovers. Simplicity lovers like clean surfaces, bare walls, you know, quiet, few choices. And that's how they feel like they can, they have focus and creativity and energy. Abundance lovers like a lot of buzz, a lot of profusion, a lot of choices, people running around, a lot going on. There's nothing wrong with that either. And, and, and a lot of times people are like, if you're going to be creative, you have to clean off your desk. No, <laughs> like, it's, not right. it's not necessarily true. And I'm sure you've seen the, oh. the amazing book, Mason, Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals, which is all about the habits of the like, super, super genius people. And what you see... They're all over the place. They're all over the place. Yep. So one person gets up early and one person stays up late. And one person drinks coffee and one person drinks vodka. And one person works in a crowd and one person works all by themselves. And one person works a half an hour a day like Gertrude Stein. And another person works 14 hours a day like P.G. Wodehouse. I mean, it's like, there's just, you, you can't prescribe. You have to begin by knowing yourself. And so I think that's the first thing for people to do. Is say like, well, when do I Rec do my... Recognize When that. do I do my best work? When have I succeeded in the past? What attracts me? What, what idea attracts me? Does it attract me, the idea that I would get up at 5 a.m.? Maybe that, maybe that sounds great. Or maybe that sounds like hell. <laughs> you, know, it, it, you know, you just sort of think about it. I think a lot of times we just, we're sort of, again, we're kind of adrift and we're reacting instead of saying like, well, what's true for me? How should I shape my environment, my, my, my schedule as much as I can to suit myself? Is it fair to say that in Gretchen Rubin's world that step one is knowing yourself? Yes. Is that fair? Okay, so yeah. there are many Which ways. is, by the way, like the most ancient advice of all time. It's on the Temple of Apollo in Delphi. <laughs> know thyself. Okay, so yeah, TM, Gretchen Rubin. Yeah, okay, yeah, I take credit for that. I love it. So if that's the case, um, do you have some things, let's go tactical for a yes. second. Super Ooh, tactical. How do you know yourself? Like, how do you know yourself? I have some good questions. How do you know yourself and mm. what do you do in order to, like, do you record this? So you just go, yeah. oh yeah, I'm that kind of person. Yeah. Do you write it down? Do you okay. do a daily journal? Yeah. So yeah. how do you know yourself and then what, okay. what's the actual mechanism for, like, for 
putting that down so you can like reference it often. Well, it's funny because um, you mentioned that I have a podcast with my sister and one of our recurring segments is called Know Yourself Better. And we try to pose a question that will help people know themselves better. So like one of the questions was, do you like to discuss long or discuss short? Because sometimes people who are going through a big thing want to discuss it at length. And some people want to just discuss it as short as possible. And that's just a helpful thing to know about yourself. So I think a lot of times these, like just to constantly be asking yourself questions or noticing how you're different from other people. And certainly in all my books, I try to point out those things. But here are some questions that I think are Ooh. particularly get helpful. Your, get at your pen and paper. Or you can okay. rewind this as many yeah, times yeah, yeah, you want. Yeah. Reference, okay. reference material. So this question is a very uncomfortable question to ask, but it was actually one of the questions that was most okay. helpful to me. Whom do you envy? Mm. Because when, when you envy some, we often don't like to admit that we feel envy because it's so uncomfortable. But when you, when, somebody, when you envy someone, they have something that you wish you had. And that's a really, really important clue. And when I was thinking about switching to becoming a writer, um, I got one of those magazines, you know, those alumni magazines that you get and it reports on like everybody yes. in your class in college. And I noticed that when I was reading about people who had really cool law jobs, I felt a kind of mild interest. And when I read about people who had really cool writing jobs, I felt sick with envy. So it's like that, they were telling, that was telling me they had something that I wish I had. And so thinking about whom you envy, Ooh, you know. This is powerful yeah, medicine. Yeah. Okay, another thing to ask yourself to know yourself better is what do you try to hide? Because if you're trying to hide something, then there, there's in some way that what you're actually doing is not in keeping with your values or with the values of the people around you, which might not be your values. But so like, if you're hiding the fact that you're visiting certain websites or you're hiding the fact that you're spending three hours writing in your journal because you feel like other people won't approve or whatever it might be, or you're hiding the fact that you love to sew or you're lying. You know, or, Closet or, sewer. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing. Yeah, sometimes thing. people, they, like, they feel that whatever, they have like complicated emotions, or it's sometimes it's things that are less healthy, like I'm hiding how much I drink, I'm hiding how much I'm spending. Anytime you look at what you're trying to hide, it's a big clue about how your life is not reflecting your values. Um, another thing that's really helpful um, to know yourself, and this, this is something that comes up particularly in areas of creativity and productivity, so it's, it's a very specific question, but... Um, are you a marathoner or a sprinter? So marathoners are people like me. We like to start early, do a little bit every day, and we feel like that's how we get our best work. Creativity and productivity is when it's like, you know, not up against a deadline, just like slow, steady work. But sprinters like the adrenaline of the deadline. They like being up against that, 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 that crunch. They work long and intense, and they feel like that's what spurs their creativity, that's what crystallizes their ideas. If they start too early, they kind of burn out or lose interest, or they like waste time. And the fact is a lot of times marathoners and sprinters tell each other they're doing it wrong. Like, and for a long time I would tell sprinters like, no, you've got to start early, you've got to do a little bit each day, that's what's, and then I'm like, no, that's what works for me, because I'm a marathoner. But if you're a sprinter, I it's am. not going to work for you. Yeah, <laughs> and, guys, yeah but, and it can be hard to work with sprinters. Yes, for sure. Um, but a lot of times, like my sister's a television writer, and uh, she was working with a showrunner, um, a showrunner is like the boss of the yeah, writers. Yeah. Um, and he really believed, he was a sprinter and he believed that's how people did their creative, most creative and best work. And so he would artificially engineer crises to put people into, into sprint mode. And, but or marathoners. My, but yeah, but a marathoner like my sister was just driven mad by this and didn't under, and like to her it seemed totally unnecessary and also counterproductive. So it's just a good way, you know yourself and then also other people. So you can say like, well, we have a work environment. How do we create a circumstance where we can both do our best work and maybe we can complement each other, um, but we just have to have a, a vocabulary for understanding who we are and how we do our best work. Man, so those questions alone can get you a long way. I was just sort of replaying, how would I have answered those questions in that world where I was living the script that other people had written for me? Yeah. And that big shift of shifting over to my own script um, I wish I had had those questions because I wrestled so, I think, and I think so many folks at home, even if you're, uh, you know, we talked about the two groups, if you're going from zero to one, it's especially hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah. And if you're, uh, you're trying to get better, like what actually is it you want to do? Because 
you know, you have to lean into something that yeah. in order to get really good at it, all the 10,000 hours, yeah. and we've heard, talked a lot but, about that. But, but when it comes to knowing yourself better, I created this personality framework, which I think is actually the most helpful thing in how to know yourself better. It's a little bit longer explanation. I've, I've but heard super, this talk. It's oh, a great yeah, talk. yeah, yeah. It's a great talk. Okay, so, um, and it has to do with how people deal with expectations. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about today. Yes. It's like outer expectations. So there's outer expectations, like a work deadline, a request from a spouse, what your parents want you to do. Um, and then there's inner expectations, your own desire to write a novel in your free time, your own desire to keep your New Year's resolution. So there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations alike. They keep the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. So I'm an upholder, and if I look back on my history, it was very upholder. It was like I had no trouble doing what law school expected of me, and then I had no trouble doing, like switching and becoming a writer without anybody helping me. Um, then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they hate anything arbitrary or inefficient. Um, they'll do something if they feel like it's justified. And they love information. They love customization. Then obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So they have no trouble do meeting a work deadline. But if they, have, they want to write a novel in their free time and no one's checking up on them, they can struggle. <laughs> yes. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it in their own way. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. But I think in the context of, the, of what we're talking about, the biggest tendency, the one that has the most people, is obligers. And I think a lot of times when people want to switch careers, they're caught because in their day job, they're surrounded by accountability. They have deadlines, they have a boss, they have coworkers, they have Bills, all these expectations. Yeah, yeah, they, they have all expect these expectations on them, but they have this secret desire, this inner, this inner expectation. I'm gonna become a writer, I'm gonna become a photographer, I'm going to start a blog, I'm going to um, switch to be you know, a caterer, whatever it is. But there's no outer accountability, and so they just are paralyzed and stall out. And so the answer for anyone who's experiencing that is outer accountability. Like start an accountability group with other people who are gonna hold you accountable, hire a coach who's gonna hold you accountable, get a client. You know, you wanna be a photographer, get a client. Yeah. You know, and like say you'll do it for free or volunteer and do it so that somebody's like, okay, hey man, where's that project? I need it. So you feel accountable, and then you know, you're part of that system of accountability. Because I think a lot of people who are frustrated with themselves, they just need that other accountability, and then they start then they start keeping up with it. Unless you're the rebel. Well, now if you're a rebel, you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and so you just have to make up your mind. Well, what do I want? You're like, you know what? I really don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing something else. And then rebels find it pretty easy to switch. They find it'd be harder for them if somebody. You know, when they have a job maybe that they like, like they have a, they're doing something that's, in, in fact, I'm, I'm thinking of a specific rebel who emailed me where she had a job that she really liked, but it was difficult for her. It made it less fun in a way that she had to do what her clients wanted her to do. But that was like the <laughs> essence of the job. That's the essence of having so a client. She, right? she had to keep reminding herself, like, I'm doing, I'm doing this work because it allows me to do this work. And so it's a pain for me to have this deadline, but this is what allows me the freedom to do what I want and make my own rules. I took this job. I'm a freelancer. I could take this job or not. It's totally up to me. I decided to take it. So in a way, even though I feel like they're telling me what to do, I'm really telling myself what to do. And so, but they had to go through that kind of rebel mindset. <laughs> is there a problem with people misidentifying themselves on purpose? Like, because oh. they want to be something else? Or? It's funny that you say that. A lot of people do kind of are in denial a little yeah. bit. But in all of them, though, I, all of them, I heard from somebody, I love being an upholder, but I heard from somebody who's like, I really wish I weren't an upholder. I feel like I should be more laid back. I feel like I should be more easygoing. And I was like, oh, I like being not laid back and not easygoing, but you know. Um, so yeah, every, I, but I think like anything having to do with self-knowledge, there can be an element in self-knowledge of sadness. Because to, to say who you are is to admit everything that you're not. You know, like one thing about me is I'm not that into music. Like I get that other people really like it. I understand the cultural significance. I wish I liked it. It's not that into music, you know? And that's sad. It's a limitation. Um, but now that I don't try to pretend like I like music, I have more th fun time for the things that I really like, you know? Um, and I don't waste time worrying about what I'm not. And so I think with the tendencies, it's more like you get what you get and you don't get upset. Um, 
it's how do I harness the strengths of my tendency and offset the limitations rather than wishing that I was a different kind of per I wish wishing I were a different kind of person because you really you're stuck with your, yourself, you know. <laughs> that's, like, that's, let me go deal one, with one, it. one deeper. Let's go because there's a. I think there's some. I'm sensing some psychological trauma on the other side of the camera. <laughs> People are like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to admit that about myself. Um, any tips for how to sort of process that? Like, I'm an I am an obliger. We'll just okay. use you. Okay. Um, so you can talk openly about you. Like, yeah. you're an obliger. I'm an upholder. You're sorry. You're an, you're an upholder, and you're happy to be an upholder. Yes. Did did you did you know that that was you? Don't. Before? Going in when I created yeah. this framework. No, and yeah. that was the amazing thing about creating this framework. So I was starting to write better than before, and I was starting to see these weird patterns and how people formed habits, or like when they didn't form habits, what they would say. Like all these people kept saying to me, I would say to them, one of my test questions was, How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? And a, a surprising number of people gave me exactly the same answer. They would say, I would never keep a resolution on, on January 1st because that's an arbitrary date. If it's important to me, I'll do it whenever. And that was just striking to me because I'm like, it's the arbitrariness of it that bothers them. That would not have even really occurred to me, but clearly for them, that's a big. That's a thing. That's a thing. Um, or like a lot of people would say things like, um, like a friend of mine said, you know, I know I would be happier if I had the habit of exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I was seeing like, oh, you know, like oh, I did NaNoWriMo. And I had no trouble writing a novel in a month, but why can't I? Why can't I write a novel? Why can't I write every day now? And so I was trying to figure it out. So I came up with these personality frameworks, and it took months, and it was like the hardest, most intellectually challenging thing I've ever done is to try to see the pattern. And when I finally identified it, and I realized that I'm an upholder, well, it turns out upholder is like it's very rare and it's a very extreme personality. And I basically had to go back and rewrite all of Better Than Before because I went into it thinking that I was very typical. And what I, what I learned from it is actually I'm an extreme rare personality. And I remember going into my husband and being like, you know what? I'm like this extreme fringy person. Yeah, and he's like, you think? Like nobody was surprised at me. But, 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 but what was interesting about it was, was, was seeing how a lot of times people think, well, there's something wrong with me. Everybody else has got this figured out. There's a problem with me. And there's a huge relief in understanding, like, there's a whole bunch of people who have exactly the same thing uh, as I do. And there's no shame in that. And millions so just, and millions and millions so, of yeah, people. Yeah, so just build in the, whatever infrastructure you need to like, get where you want to go. And you don't, have to, you don't have to feel bad about it, you know? Um, because sometimes in all of the tendencies, you'll see people saying, like, well, I felt bad about, you know, upholders will say, like, everybody tells me that I'm rigid. That's what people always tell upholders. And you're like, and then you, you hang out with other upholders, and they're like, oh, yeah, everybody tells us we're rigid. We like this, you know? <laughs> or questioners, you know, questioners will sometimes say, like, I can get stuck. I get analysis paralysis because I'm questioning and questioning and questioning, and I want perfect information, and I just keep, I get swept up in the beauty of research, and I can't move forward. And it's like, that's a very common thing to happen to questioners. That's like, there's ways to deal with that because a lot of people experience that. And then you're, then it's like, okay, well, it's just a thing that happens to people and there's, there are solutions and here's what other questioners do. And so then you don't feel so like alone with your own weird idiosyncratic problems. Can we go one level deeper? Yeah. And, and can you tell us a little bit about each of these like, I, I, presumably yeah. you did a ton of research. I, so. Yeah, I'm writing a book about them now, so I'm like obsessively thinking about the four <laughs> tendencies left and right. Yes. Okay, so for those people, like yeah. what, what are, I'm a huge advocate of trying to get people to lean into their strengths. Yes. Instead of trying to yes. better your weakness, yes. like yes. what is your strength? Yes. And you said something about building the structure around yeah. you yeah. for like to, to fix, not fix, because yeah, that's offset. the wrong word, offset. The limitations, you Thank yeah. You. Offset, yeah, offset or support the things yeah. that you're not strong at. Yes. So. What are some characteristically strong okay. things that people who have one, each one of the four personality okay. types, you know, they're good at this and not good at yes. that. And just realize that you might be special, yeah. but this is we're talking like yeah. generally so that we can yeah. get some real tactical yeah. stuff for yeah. you folks at home. Yeah. Well, and if anybody wants to take a quiz, most people can tell what they are right away, but there is a quiz at happiercast.com slash quiz. There's a quiz that will give you an answer. Um, and I want to say, like, these aren't meant to, meant to be identities that box you in or make you feel cramped. They're meant to just illuminate patterns so that you can sort of see how you could maybe easily fix something that you've been frustrated by. So, upholders. So, upholders, you know, it's great to be an upholder in a lot of ways because it's like you easily meet inner and outer expectations. So, they put a lot of value on kind of performance and follow through, but they're also good at taking time for themselves because they see that as that's an inner expectation. 
that they have this weird thing. And again, I thought this was like my own Your private <laughs> weird problem, but it's very widespread among upholders, which is tightening. So like a lot of times people will start with like a habit and over time it kind of loosens up. But for upholders, it will often get tighter. And so you could be somebody who's like, you know what, like five days a week, I want to get up and write for two hours in the morning. Well, pretty soon then it's like starting to be every day you're going to get up and write for two hours in the morning. And then it gets to the point where like if one day you can't do it because like your kid's sick, you feel really uncomfortable because you're like, I've got, I've got to get my writing done. It's tightening on you. Uh, and it's very important for upholders to be aware of this so that they can like consciously loosen it up because you don't want to feel like you're this bureaucrat stuck checking the boxes of, of your own life in a way that becomes choking. And for upholders, that's, very re that's a very real outcome, that things get tighter. Now, questioners, um, they love research, they love information, they love to customize. They can get analysis paralysis if they can't move forward, or they can't make a decision. I have a friend who's a questioner married to a questioner, and they didn't, oh they didn't, they didn't have a dishwasher for two and a half years, because every time they were gonna buy a dishwasher, it's like, well, why this one? Why not that one? Maybe we should do the countertops. Maybe we should redo the kitchen. Maybe we should move. You know, like it was, there was no end to the questions. And so you have to figure out, like, I'm gonna give myself a deadline, or I'm only gonna you know, explore 10 possibilities, or I'm gonna follow a trusted advisor. Um, so for instance, let's say you're a questioner, and you're like, well, I wanna start a blog. Okay, well, what platform should I use? Well, I can research and research and research and research and research. And then finally you're like, okay, pick somebody that you trust, whose blog you like, and say, what platform do you use? If it's good enough for you, it's probably good enough for me because otherwise I could spend a year stalling, yeah, trying to, to make the your, perfect decision. Yeah. So right, so you want to be able to like figure out ways to offset when the questioning is becoming, and in a way, always with the tendencies, is you want to appeal to the tendency if it's getting out of control. So you would say to a questioner, and this is my husband is a questioner, so I would say to him, it's becoming inefficient how much questioning you're doing because efficiency is a core value of questioners. So you say, it's not, now it is not serving your, your values and your aims to do so much questioning. So it has to come to an end and that's ultimately what's efficient and justified. And they're like, okay. Obliger is the biggest tendency. So all of us are either obligers or we're surrounded by obligers because they're the biggest tendency. Okay. Um, for an obliger, uh, like they're the rock of the world, you know? Um, they make and stuff happen, the trains run on time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They come yeah. through for you, and here's the thing about obligers, though. They feel like they're being taken advantage of, and mm. they are. Upholders, questioners, and rebels. We all rely on them. <laughs> we all will take advantage of, of, of obligers, and so they're not wrong to think that. Um, and so what obligers, when they enter in this place of frustration because they're not meeting their inner expectations, they just have to build in that outer accountability. And so it could be starting an accountability group. It could be having a coach. It could be having a client. It could be teaching a class. If you want to learn how to do Photoshop, maybe you volunteer to teach a Photoshop class at your local church, and it's like, well, you better learn Photoshop pretty quick, because like tomorrow at 2 p.m., a bunch of people are gonna show up to hear you talk, you know? Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of ways to build in accountability once you realize that that is what is the necessary piece. Now, but here's another interesting thing about obligers, and it's worth mentioning because there's so many obligers. Obligers have this pattern where they will meet, meet, meet expectations, and then they will snap, and almost arbitrarily, they will... I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. And <laughs> funnily enough, a lot of obligers... This can be small and funny. Like a lot or of, horrible, probably, yeah. Or horrible. Yeah. It can destroy relationships. It can blow up marriages. You can walk out on a job. And often obligers are super valuable employees. So you don't want somebody to just be like, you know what, you're dead to me. I'm out of here. You know, um, you, you, we want somebody to say, like, how can we make this right? Like, you're too valuable for us. We don't want to lose you like this. Um, and so we, if you're around an obliger, you are an obliger. You don't want to get to that place of deep resentment and burnout um, because it can be very destructive. Um, and like a lot of times obligers even will have like a pattern where they will keep going to a job and then kind Build of up resentment over building time. up so oh, much yeah. resentment and then going from one to another. But obligers often can be very frustrated. Like I had a friend, and I'm sure you've seen examples like this, where uh, he was at a big um, nonprofit, very, very productive guy, and, but he'd always had a dream of starting a textile company. And so he decided he was gonna take a year off and try to start this company. Now, knowing what I know now, I know he's an obliger, I would say, 
What is your system of accountability? Do you have a coach? Do you have an accountability group? Do you have a do you have a client who's going to order who's you know going to put in an order for you? Are you think are you get, what are you going to do to have accountability? But he didn't have any accountability. Danger. And he was paralyzed and did nothing. And then eventually went back to his old job and felt like he had wasted his opportunity to make his dream come true. And it was very poignant. I think the only missing piece to me is that accountability. If there had been, because when he was in his job, he never thought about it. Like yeah. the fact that he had supervisors and deadlines and colleagues and conferences to prepare for and reports to file and all that. He didn't even think about it. But then when all that infrastructure was taken away, he struggled. But it would have been so easy to put it in. You know, so that's the thing for obligers. Outer accountability Outer is the accountability. answer. Right. And then for rebels, it's always choice and freedom. What do you want? What do you feel like doing? Who are you? How do you want to express yourself? That's what they want. They can do anything they want to do. <laughs> the key operative word is want. They want to want yeah. it. They yeah. have to want to do it. Um, if you're dealing with a rebel and you're frustrated because they won't do what you ask or suggest <laughs> that they do, you always think about the sequence, information, consequences, choices. Um, so. Uh, we have a client, this is our timeline, this is our budget. If we do a good job with this, this could be a permanent relationship. That means more cool projects and more money for all of us. Do you think this is something that your team could tackle? Information. Consequences. consequences. Choices. Do I'm going to tell, tell you the situation. I'm going to tell you the consequences of that situation. Positive and negative. Yeah. Negative and like even, yeah, even with like a little kid, you could say something like, if a person plays outside all day in the hot sun, they get a bad sunburn. If you get a bad sunburn, it really hurts. Your skin can blister and peel. Then you got to stay indoors. You're stuck inside for four days until your sunburn fades. Do you feel like wearing a hat and a long sleeve t-shirt, or do you prefer to wear lotion? It's <laughs> I like think you might actually, this might be a real question from her to me. I feel like <laughs> I'm, I have a this. this <laughs> it's logically resonating with me. I don't consider myself a rebel, but. Like the, that way that you just laid it right out right there, that was yeah. pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. And the fact that it worked on small children. Yeah, <laughs> no, and adults. No, no, I mean, because I, this was my big question, because all these people were like, how do you get a rebel to do anything? And so I asked all these rebels, how do you get a rebel to do something? And it's like, oh, and you can't lecture. You can't lecture and you can't micromanage. You can't keep looking and reminding. You can't keep checking on them. Information, consequences, choice. And then turn away and it's over to them. And you have to let them accept the consequences. Oof. Which can be hard. Which can be hard. Okay. So those, those are the four tenets. That was incredible. And there's a little bit of medicine for each of them. Yeah. Very, very tactical. I love it. Now, let's go to uh, step maybe back a little bit more. And I want to shift the conversation to some habits. Mm. Um, I am on record as a habit person. And I'll say I came to this. It wasn't something that was native in me. But I came to it because I realized that just an objective, like, I want to be able to run a 4.5 second 40 meter dash or 40 yard dash. I don't know where that Canadian yeah. part of me came. I'm not even <laughs> Canadian. Um, but, but just some, just a, a simple thing that was well defined. I often could get there and ring the bell, but I didn't, I, I felt like it didn't maintain. Yes. Like it wasn't, it wasn't oh, Yeah. Just run okay, up there. This run, is yeah. the thing. Goals are a really good way to meet a goal. They're not a good way to form a habit. Perfect. Finish lines are not good for habits. That's, that was my experience, and it was really sort yeah. of later in life, uh, I'll even say recently, that I realized that what I was actually, like I wanted to always be able yes. to run a 4 five, 40 or yes. always be able to yes. um, you know, maintain a clear yes. state of mind or whatever the thing was. You wanted consistent progress. Yeah, consistent, yes. yeah, consistent outcome, consistent progress, and that, again, yes. I feel it's so simple when you stand back and think about it, but yeah. I had to switch over to habits. And, I, and it's like, yes. what do I want? I, I want these things, and those things are you know, health or happiness or whatever. And what are the conditions that put me in that state? And the condition is I meditate. If I meditate every day, if I exercise every day, if I do something creative every day, if I, whatever, then it's almost impossible for me not to live in this state. Yeah. So therefore, I've, it, it took me some time. Yeah. Uh, to, to sort of narrow down 10 habits. And those 10 habits have, is what I largely attribute to being able to create a living and a life that I love. Yeah. So am I normal? Am I right in thinking those things that I just thought? Or am I a weirdo and mm. I manipulated my own psychology to get an outcome? Well, no, I think, you're I mean, I think you had a profound insight that um, frankly has eluded many a habit <laughs> expert, um, which is that it's something like doing like 
losing 30 pounds, doing, you know, giving up sugar for Lent, doing a 30-day yoga challenge. Like, those are great ways to meet short-term goals, but when it comes to habits, you don't want to think about finish lines, because once you pass the finish line, you're finished. You want to think about milestones. So it's an exciting milestone to run that race, but that's just one of many milestones that you will pass in a lifetime of running. Or, oh my gosh, it's great that you like launched this website, but that's just the beginning. That's not a finish line. That's like, you're gonna keep going. You don't wanna give up sugar for Lent. You wanna eat healthfully forever. And so it's, it's very easy to get swept away um, by these finish lines, um, but they don't really form habits, um, which is really more about thinking about how do I shape my life for the long term. And so one of the things you said is like, this is what you want every day to look like. This is like your perfect day, how can you have that day every day? And then you have the life that reflects your values. And so I think that habits have an you know, incredibly helpful role to play. Now, research shows about 40% of everyday life is shaped by habits. So if you have habits that work for you, the way mm -hmm. you've figured out your habits, then you're just gonna be happier, healthier, more productive, more sure. creative. I gotta put on the table. Like it took me a while yeah, to figure them out. Sure, to, to know me, yourself yeah. and like what works. Um, they're like the invisible architecture of everyday life. So they shape everything that we do. And habits can be freeing and energizing because once something's a habit, you don't waste any energy or time making decisions or using your self-control. So I don't decide, I have a lot of habits too. I don't decide to get up at 6 a.m. I don't decide not to eat dessert. You know, those are habits. They just, they just happen on autopilot, so they're frictionless. So you don't wake up every day, should I meditate today? Well, I meditated yesterday, so maybe I should get a day off tomorrow. Or, or, or I'm gonna do such a good job tomorrow, I'm gonna start next month. And after that, it's gonna be really easy. So then I'm gonna do, so, so I don't have to meditate today because starting next month, I'm gonna be so good. Or, oh, you know, it's raining outside, I don't meditate well. I'm a little <laughs> sleepy, I think it'd be better if I met, you know, blah, 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 blah. This can Does go this on. Does sound familiar yeah, to Yeah, I mean, this can go on for hours. So in, this, in my strategies, so I identify 21 strategies that you can use to make or break your habits. And the funniest strategy that I studied, and oh my gosh, this is my favorite chapter to work on, was the strategy of loopholes. Because if you can spot loopholes, then you can avoid them when they're undermining your habits. And like, they, we just, there's 10 categories of loopholes and people are just so inventive about letting themselves <laughs> off the creative. hook. Yeah. Um, and so I think that for, for most people, habits really can be super powerful. The thing that's important is to know that if you published your 10 habits, that I couldn't say like, oh, these are the, these are the magic habits. Chase has identified them. They are now like established like, you know, the table of the elements. And if we would all do this, we would all have equal success. Because these are carefully tailored over a lot of time. Yes. And it sounds like experimenting yes. with yourself mm -hmm. to find like, the magic solution that is perfectly calibrated for you. So true. And that's just, like meditation. I've tried meditation. All these people I know meditate. Okay, show me a million research things that show them. It doesn't work for me. I'm just saying right now, maybe they'll try it again, but I'm just like, I can live without it. Um, so fine. Okay, so I'll do something else. It works for you. So somebody else can say like, maybe I'd like to try it. Maybe I don't, you know, there's no magic answer. But the thing is what you did was you put in the time, the self-knowledge, yeah. the experiment, and then you're like, and then one of the questions to say is like, when do I succeed, when have I succeeded in the past? And when do I do, when do I feel my best? And it might be like, you know, it's funny, everybody sits around telling me how I should, you know, like have a clean desk, but I do better when I have a message desk. Or I did an interview with Roseanne Cash, and she was saying how everybody said to her, like, to be creative, you really need to sit down and treat it like a job, and sit down at your desk at nine o'clock, and really, you know, really take it seriously, and don't wait till you're in the mood. And she said she always felt really guilty because she, could, she never could do that. And then she realized from reading my book, like she's actually the kind of person who wanders around the house and writes like song lyrics on a post-it note and sticks it on the ping pong table. And that's her process. And it's like, <laughs> okay, if it works for you, Roseanne Cash, like I don't think it needs fixing because whatever you're doing works it for works. you. Yeah. And so whenever people start saying like, oh, I deliberately, I, this was working really well, but I deliberately changed it to be more like Albert Einstein, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, if it's working for you, maybe you want to go deeper into that or try to understand it. Is it fair to say that when you try and adopt someone else's habits or something that's been prescribed to you, that you it's actually useful because you will learn if that yes. is a thing for you or yes. not? Yes, yes, because it's always worth experimenting. Um, and sometimes things just sound so wrong that you're like, okay, <laughs> if, getting up at 5 a.m., no, 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 no. no. <laughs> 
Like, see, I would love to get up at 5 a.m. That attracts me, but I would have to go to bed too early and that would disrupt my life too much, but it attracts me. But for other people, that would never attract them. Or like when I first heard about um, National Novel Writing Month, somebody I hardly know was in a coffee shop and she described it to me. I'm like, I'm going out right now and buying Chris Beatty's book. I cannot wait to do this. It so attracted me. But for other people, they'd be like, eh, that sounds awful. You know what I mean? So, so part of it is just like think about it and maybe try it and say like, well, maybe that doesn't sound like something I would like to do, but I'll try it. This comes up a lot of times with um, resisting strong temptation, whether that's food like resisting chocolate chip cookies or technology like Candy Crush. Um, for some people, they do better when they give it up altogether. They have none. So it's like uh, my sister had to delete Candy Crush because it was actually affecting her career. Um, she couldn't play a little Candy Crush. And I don't need any sugar because it's like once I have a little bit, I want a lot. And I just like, that's boring to me. I don't want to have to like have one cookie or, you know, like one scoop of ice cream. I want to have all the ice cream or no ice cream. But then moder that, those are abstainers. Moderators do better when they have a little bit. So maybe they want to play Candy Crush for 20 minutes or they want to play it when they're in line at the store. And that, they just need to know they can have it a little bit. And so, but a lot of times, everyone is told that we should be moderate. Like, oh, give yourself a cheat day, follow the 80-20 rule, like don't be too rigid. But if it's not working for you, if you feel like I can't play World of Warcraft a little bit, I can't eat two French fries, try abstaining, because like you say, spirit of experimentation. Yeah. For a lot of people, it works better. Maybe you think you're one kind of person, but this would really work better for you. And it's like, what's the harm? And it's you don't need efficient. a you don't need the Hubble telescope. Right. And it's Just pretty do. efficient because you yeah. you'll know after a few days yes. does this work for you or not? Yes, absolutely. And and that's the thing that I did was like, oh, I, I want to do X, and I would just I, some friend of mine suggested that I try this. It's a thing that works for him or her. Tried it, like, wow, that was super painful. Right. I know that right. that's not my solution no, like to the timer thing. method. Similar. Like, I love using the 15 minute timer. It's like, they're crazy about it. And you're like, <laughs> so try the timer method. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't have to invest much to yeah. give that a shot. Yeah, exactly. And then for some people, it's the magic answer that solves everything, you know? And so maybe it will be for you or maybe not. So try it. Fair. And I want to, over the next five minutes, I want to cover two main topics. One topic is specifically creativity, yeah. and then one topic is Gretchen Rubin. Ooh, okay. So I'm going to go with uh, the creativity first, and then we're going to finish with a bunch of Gretchen Rubin, like bam, 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 bam. Okay. Uh, okay. Lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. All right. So around creativity, we've touched on it. It's been, a, I think, one of the dominant threads through our conversation. I really enjoyed and appreciated that. That's one of my core values and the thing that I'm trying to help people unlock in their lives. With respect to not being um, overly programmatic about you or this or you have to do these things, can you talk to me about some like just the thread of creativity in your work? Okay, yeah. And what you've certainly seen some trends, and, and it's to be put through the lens of, hey, remember everybody know thyself. Yeah. But yeah. talk to me about some sort of trends and connections that you see around creativity and, and how people can tap into it and access it. Well, one thing is I feel like people have like the thing that is their kind of their milieu for creativity. So for some people, it's very visual. Um, I have a friend who's an artist and I remember her saying like she quit her job. She, her day job when she first moved to New York was she was at a, rece a receptionist at an art gallery. And then finally she was doing well enough with her art that she quit. And somebody said to her, well, now you're going to be working all the time. Meaning now that you have no job to fall back on, all you can do is be looking. All you can be doing is thinking about art. And um, but like, I'm not visual. For me, it's all about reading. It's always about reading. So what I do to stay creative is I just constantly am reading. And people often say like, oh, you must be a speed reader. You do so much reading. I'm like, I have to be reading all the time. Like, I feel like my life, I, 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 I crave it. Um, and I'm constantly taking notes on what I read. And that's what is creativity for me, is this constant like taking in of words, processing ideas, writing down the parts that catch my attention, and then trying to think about where it could lead in my own thinking. And again, but like for someone who's visual, that wouldn't be attractive because yeah. they think about the world in a different way. Um, so I think part of it is just, you know, is like, uh, I think it's, it's about, for me at least, it's about constant exposure. Um, mm. But even I realize, like, if I go to an art, like, a, I go to the Met. You're taking notes. No, you know, and what I'm most <laughs> interested in is the titles of the paintings. I'm, like, really interested in the titles of paintings. Like, I saw the figure five in gold. I'm like, 
best painting ever. Love that title. You know what I mean? And then I was like, well, I'm such, like, I cannot even get out of my own head. Or like Andy Warhol. I'm like, I don't care about his visual art. It's his writing that I love. Um, his books are crazy. He's crazy. Yeah, he's totally crazy. I constantly <laughs> quote him, right? Is he yeah. not the biggest genius? I, I love, like, he's one of the biggest influences on my life. Okay, we so. must have sidebar on Andy Warhol because <laughs> okay. he is completely, I think, un really, as famous as he is, I kind of think that he's underappreciated for, oh, for his thinking. And, and he's, I, someone said, I think it was maybe Neil Strauss said that he is the most famous artist of all time, more famous than Picasso. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but it, it's, it's interesting to me that you can have that sort of, uh, you can be in that pool, even in the top few, yeah. and still be underappreciated because his work literally is everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah. the fact that he took a Brillo box out of a yeah. grocery store and yeah. ended up in the gallery or in a museum. Like, that's just one of his many, like, usurping the traditional sort of way and of thinking about something. What was he thinking? What were his ideas? Like, he, his he's a mind, he has a mind like yeah. no one else. Yeah. I mean, anyway, so that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. we agree. It's like, there's his art, but then there's then there's the words that underlie it that are so fascinating. So so is that I mean that's in a sense it's still it's know like thyself because if, if you're if you're if you're visual I'm painfully visual like if yeah. I sit down in a meeting well you're a photographer that makes so much sense it makes so much sense like I but I can't even sit through a meeting without like writing the words down like oh you just said something I need to actually look at the words on the wall to remember them interesting yeah it's 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 weird but so is. Are we still bound to know thyself in order to, yeah, in order I to be really, more I think it's creative. the key to everything. I mean, I really feel like in the end, it's by knowing our own interests, our own values, our own taste, our own interests, our own temperament. Like, the, it all comes down to that. What and about to the conflict, know, though, where you like, oh, man, I really wish I was not visual, but I wish I was more, uh, more of a writer or something like that, or more conceptual, or is there... Like, how do people reconcile conflict in themselves? Because certainly, I, um, I guess I like being visual now that I think about it. But you've said it a couple times in the conversation. Like, even don't deny yourself the thing. You could just say like, I don't like music. Right. That's pretty. That's pretty bold statement. But you're yeah. like, I'm. I'm totally good with that now. Yeah. No, I feel a sadness to it because it's a limitation. Um, and I think sometimes like there's there's useful things on the edges. Like if you say like, well, I'm so visual, but like maybe there's a way I can incorporate text. Or like I think a lot about images and the power of image. Like I wrote a biography of JFK, and one of the things that I loved studying was the like the power of images and how he used images and like and how that. But I did it in kind of a writer. I had to like read books about images, you know, like uh, on photography. Susan Sontag. Yeah, you know, but, right. Like that's how the only way I could process it was. Sue Susan Sontag's version of it. Um, so I think that there's a lot of times something really interesting on the edges, and that you can kind of like pull in the bits, like the parts that make sense to you, and 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 you know, like maybe you're like Snapchat, like I mean, it's an image that's going to have this crazy piece of text, and I'm going to have fun with that. But I think in the end, you can you can you can become educated, you can expand. But I don't think you can really move the center of gravity of yourself. And I feel like you can waste so much time and energy trying, trying to yeah, push against it. And, kind of and, your, and, and fix your weaknesses. Well, well yeah. like you're saying, like you want to go deeper into your strengths. And also, I feel like, and speaking of JFK, he said something one time that was so interesting. He said, people do best what comes naturally. And I always think to myself, is that true? Do I agree that people do best what comes naturally? I've thought about that constantly for the last 10 years. And in the end, I think people do do best what comes naturally. And that's not to say that you can't expand it or become educated or like incorporate. But in the end, I think that we always, it's very hard that your best work is not really coming from that, like, that center place, it seems to me. Okay. It certainly is for me. These these next questions will be very natural, but then okay. because they're about you and so. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, what's something that people don't know about you? They would be surprised if they did. I'm very scared to drive. I'm really scared of driving. I do drive, but it was like a whole thing, and I hate driving. I dread it. Part of it is I live in New York, so I hardly ever drive. Uh -huh. Habits. If you do something habitually, your your emotional state becomes. Uh, you know, kind of muffled, uh -huh. and that would be good for me. If I did more driving, I would be less nervous. But I do not like to drive, and I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Like I drove, I got my license. Like you know, 15, yeah, I was 16. Yeah, no. So, um, but that ha habits. Do you have a list of habits that you look at every day, or is it are they ingrained? Uh, I'm an upholder. It's just like part of me. Yeah. Um, and how about your 
uh, a struggle that you had making something creatively that the world doesn't know about? Like, where, where did you really struggle? I mean, the four tendencies was so difficult for me. I, I'm sitting, was, I was sitting this close to you, and yeah. I could see there's yeah, a little cringe yeah, when you yeah, said yeah, it. Was yeah, like, yeah, that was the hardest yeah, work I've no, ever done. It was, it was like, I just had all this like loose kind of information floating around. I didn't know how anything fit together. I couldn't, like now it's a beautiful pattern that has kind of the elegance of a fern frond, you know? So I'm like, oh, it looks like a nautilus shell, so it's gotta be right. <laughs> um, but I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it, and I, 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 I it, it, it was it was a tremendous tremendous and the whole habit book actually was a huge struggle because there was just so much information and I couldn't figure out how to work like should it be habits of creativity habits of exercise but then it'd be so redundant and like it was making habits and breaking habits did that matter like I couldn't like figure out the framework I'm like I'm completely a person who needs structured thinking yeah. and I couldn't find my structure and I, there was just more and more and more information flowing in I was like I was getting crushed by it can you name some of your favorite things? Reading, writing. How about, uh, be specific, what, like what's a favorite book that uh, people at home might want to pick up? Ooh, see how this is like, how do I even I, know, pick? I, I have a book club where like every month I recommend it's, books and I'm so happy. No, 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 because I'm like, I can, you know, I can, eventually oh. I'll get to everything, but like just picking the one book. All right, well actually, then we'll just do that. You have a, a book club? Yeah. On your website? Yeah. GretchenRubin.com? Yep, people can sign up. And every every month, I it's one book about happiness or habits or human nature, one work of children's literature, because I'm a crazy fan of children's literature. I wanted to get there, but we ran out of time. And so. one eccentric pick. One eccentric pick. Right, just do something that... Uh, I'll let you off the hook on that one because there's so much information on your website. And let's find out where, where people can know more about you on the internet. It's GretchenRubin.com. Yeah. And then fill in the blanks on the rest of them. Yeah, uh, I'm Gretchen Rubin everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. What are you most passionate about in that world? Uh, are you like a Facebooker? Are you an Instagrammer? Uh, you know, podcast, um, I love them all because they all have different strengths and weaknesses. And so for me, it's like, how do you communicate ideas with, with other people? And each one has kind of its own power, but in, the, in my heart, I'm a writer. So in the end, in the end for me, the, the core thing, yeah, are my books, yeah. Great. I'm super grateful to have spent oh, an hour with you. Oh, thank you. This was so, we could talk all day. I, I know, we really like. could. It was dangerous. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I said we're going to be done by 1210 <laughs> and it's 12.15. Folks at home, pay attention to Gretchen Rubin, GretchenRubin.com, Gretchen Rubin everywhere on the internet. She's been a huge influence to me and I know she will for you too. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.